Grab your Bibles and go with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And she is right. Um, I thought she did a great job on covenant. I, I want to add on to that, or as we begin to talk about it, just want to kind of introduce you to the passage, why this is so important from God's perspective. Uh, as she did describe the different covenants, the highest form of covenant, if you guys look at this, is um, marriage. So the, in the New Testament, we, we step into this idea of what we call being the bride of Christ. So when God wants to show the, what he considers the purest form of covenant or how you're to understand it, he moves into what we call marriage. What is marriage covenant? So if you think about it, it's really important to understand that everything she was saying about the legal term of covenant is correct. It, it does point to the fact that there is this. But the reason why it's uh, now used in the New Testament as a marriage covenant is because it doesn't want to reflect just a contractual agreement. It wants to re show that even though it's contractual, that's the lowest form of covenant because it's really relational. So in a marriage covenant, what is a marriage covenant to be like? Well... The Bible's straightforward to say this is how men are act, supposed to act in a relationship and this is how women are supposed to act in a relationship. And, um, and with that, that's where we get all the counseling in the body of Christ. <laughs> and so, very, very importantly, I believe that God represents himself as the male part in covenant, constantly. So I just want you guys to think about this as we're going to start looking at uh, judges. How do men represent covenant. See, if you grew up with a father who didn't know how to minister or nurture, you have none of that as a man. And so when it comes for you to nurture your spouse, you actually can't do it because there's no place in you that's been nurtured to do that. And what happens when you as a man or you're in a covenant with a woman and you cannot nurture them? What it does is it goes to a broken place in men to where they either have shame or they have anger. Isn't that amazing? And so when a lot of us talk about this idea of covenant, we always want to bring it to a contractual place because we don't see God as a father. We see him as a monarch. And we see that he has laws, but we actually think, well, that separates me from him. And so what you have is you have a culture of people. This is actually not a New Testament problem. This is an Old Testament problem. Everybody wants to put God out here like this and relate to him based on laws because there's a reality that's happened since the fall of man. We're afraid of relationships. And because we're afraid of relationships, that's what the human race is. One of the processes of restoration that God is trying to restore is what does it actually mean to have a healthy whole relationship. So God is going to come intentionally in a covenant and go through a process of making you whole. He isn't just going to say, well, this gets you to heaven, because it's not enough to just have a, if I could say it correctly, a ticket to heaven. God doesn't just make contractual agreements. God wants a whole person. That's what he's about in this process. And so when we look here in Judges chapter 6, turn with me, I think it's verse... 23 and 24 it is. We're now going to, the idea of shalom, what we're going to do is we're going to just develop the idea of shalom. And I want to kind of just tell you how I got here. 
Um, I was just looking, I've always been fascinated by one thing about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the peace of God. I've just been fascinated by the peace of God, how it can come into a situation of absolute stress and just quiet you, and how it's actually, the peace of God is described in Scripture as one of our victories that Jesus has actually given us. Do you guys realize that most spiritual warfare is about coming to a place of peace? Because when you come to a place of peace, you actually have overcome every obstacle before you take it on in the natural. And so God actually wants us to teach us this idea of how important peace is. And then he begins to tie it to different ways that he expresses himself. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at how in Judges this is presented. First and foremost, let's get into what's going on in the passage. Guys, think of you in your family having people literally bust down your door, come in and steal your food every time you go to the grocery store. Steal, your, steal all that you have. You basically are sitting around and you're producing all the time and then you have people that are stronger than you just saying, well, I don't care if you produce that, I'm going to steal it from you and take it from you. That's what's actually going on with the nation of Israel at this point in their history when we come to this story. That they are so overwhelmed by other nations stealing them that Gideon is literally trying to make food for himself, and he's hiding so that it can't be stolen from him. And they are so victimized in the sense of being overwhelmed as a nation, they have no ability to stand against this constant violation of them that when the, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon the very first time, he's actually found him in a wine press. So that actually means, you guys ready? That means that he's there on a consistent basis. He's hiding Now, that actually can symbolically point to the fact that until God does a work of shalom in people's lives, they spend most of their time hiding what God has put in them. Right, so now Gideon is in a wine press. The Lord actually, an angel appears to him and says, you're a mighty man of valor. And what's his response? Yeah, I don't think you're talking to the right person. He can't even see himself the way the Lord does because of being literally taken advantage of his whole entire life. Now, as we get to this passage, what's happening is Gideon is now doing his uh, testing of the Lord, and the Lord is now trying to get him ready for battle. So now he's taking the most defeated person in the nation and saying, you're going to actually become the conqueror of the nation, and you're going to bring him back to not being defeated anymore. Now, isn't that interesting? And Gideon is going through the process, are you really going to do what you say you're going to do? I know you said it to our fathers, but the age and the day I live in, We don't see any of your promises being real in the midst of us. So Gideon is going through a process of walking with the Lord and saying, really, are you the same God that I've heard about? Do you guys realize that in each one of your life, you're going to come to that point where you're going to go, are you really the God that my parents talk about? Are you really the God that I've heard about that does all these incredible things? Are you going to be that God to me, or am I just going to hear about it the rest of my life? And so Gideon is actually beginning this process. So what happens? It says the angel of the Lord appears to him. And Gideon, are you guys ready? This is covenant language. Gideon makes a meal for him to eat. That's the idea of covenant. You share relationship. Now, there's two terms that are used for angel of the Lord. Sometimes when an angel appeared, they said, well, that, you know, that angel is from the Lord. And then they use the term the angel of the Lord, which represented 
the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is who actually appeared to Gideon, if you guys realize it. In fact, Gideon didn't even realize it when it was first happening. He's actually trying to get uh, the angel of the Lord to bless him and come into agreement. Did you really call me to be the deliverer of these people? And he says, well, go make a meal for me and let's have a relationship. And it says that the angel touched it, got set on fire, and then he jumped into the fire and he said, oh, no, I saw who? He didn't say an angel. He said, I saw the face of God. And then he was afraid and said, I must perish. Why? Where is he getting that idea? If you see the face of God, should you die? Well, that came from Moses. Moses said, if anyone sees the face of God, they'll die. And yet Gideon saw it. By the way, just so you realize, that means that, you guys ready? How people say God can appear in one generation and he does something different in a different generation, you have to get comfortable with the fact that they might say, well, God doesn't do that anymore. God can do whatever he wants in any person's life at any time in history. You cannot dictate to the Lord how he's going to use you or what he's going to do through you. And so he actually saw the face of God and the Lord actually comes and says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm not going to consume you because you've seen my face. This is important for you that you see my face. Now, let's get into the passage. So that's everything that's going on before we get to the passage. Look at it with me, verse 23. The Lord said to him, peace be to you. Don't be afraid, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it is in Ophrah of the Abazanites. I think I probably said that wrong, but every time I look at it, I can't pronounce it. So, Now, what's going on here? When, when you come to this passage of peace, you need to understand there really are several words for the word peace in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but actually you find that the most common word is this word shalom. Shalom. So the way it's translated is just peace, but we arrive at peace very powerfully. We get to peace not just by saying, oh, that just means peace, which in our mind means the absence of conflict. It actually means a building of something that's going on that gets you to peace. Now, what has to actually be built in your experience so that you can come into peace? Okay, let's look at it again. First, let's deal with this thing called an altar. We just went through the whole process of doing uh, Paula explaining covenant to you. And every time you look at covenant, what is it? It's a place, it's an action, but the place and the action point to a greater reality of something. Now, this is important. We don't take communion. We don't get all the things that we look at as ceremony because we see it in scripture. We believe, oh, isn't that a cute ceremony? Let's keep the tradition going. God called those places places of divine encounter with the power and the presence of the Lord. So when people get married, to show you how this works, that's called a divine encounter place. So when people get married, there should literally be two fleshes come together and the power of the Lord actually come on the couple and unite them in covenant relationship. When I go get baptized, I should not only go underwater, I should be baptized in the Holy Spirit because it's a place of the power of God. When we do communion, you guys see this in the New Testament, Paul saying the reason why you guys are sick is you don't know how to honor the body and the power and the presence of the Lord shows up in the middle of your communion. You are not just eating these plastic things that are supposed to be bread. <laughs> 
that's not on her thing. I just, the way we've gotten communion to. That, it's not, wow, isn't this great? I'm eating this cute little thing. Isn't that great? Jesus. And Jesus in heaven doesn't sit there and go, okay, they took communion. Isn't that great? You're actually saying that this place is where I expect you to show up and do something because of this relationship dynamic that you and I have going on. So what is an altar? Just so we understand it. Some altars are used for the work of repentance. Some altars are used for a meeting place. In fact, all altars are doors to expect the power of God to come. So they actually looked at it as when Gideon is setting up this altar, he knows the history of Moses and Israel, and he knows if I'm going to set up an altar here, Yahweh is going to show up and he's going to make himself known to me in such a powerful way that I can declare his name at this altar. But it wasn't just the declaring of his name. It was the idea that this altar, every time you come near it, you should be expecting that experience that I had with Yahweh to meet you. I got kind of intense there. So now what he's doing is he's coming to God's name and he says, When I set up this altar, after I've seen the face of God, I'm a man defeated and full of fear. Yahweh came to me and said, I am Jehovah, or he declared it as, I am, this is where Jehovah Shalom has come to me. Now, let's really develop what Shalom is. And by the way, it even makes mention, and it's still there this day. So that actually meant that the nation of Israel would go there and expect the Lord to come in that place and make himself known that way. Remember Bethel? Do you guys remember Bethel? Not the place in California, but the place in Israel. Why was that so important in God's economy? Remember? They actually said the voice of God is where? At Bethel. In fact, Israel even said we could tell the judgment of God is on us because when we go to Bethel, we can't hear the voice of the Lord. So they actually said these places aren't just cute little names and cute little places. They have significance because the Lord has determined my presence is going to be there. Just like in the temple. The temple wasn't just a place to go. They expected the manifest glory of God to be in that place. And when you went there, you truly met the Lord. That's why they knew the distinction that when God lifted his presence, where the heck is the presence of the Lord? They were used to that as a nation. All right. Now let's develop shalom. I mean, let's really get into it here. What is shalom? Shalom, to get to peace, means wholeness has to begin to affect your life. Wholeness. The most amazing thing to me about covenant relationship with Jesus is how he comes to you and I. Now think about it. In the Protestant Reformation, what has happened since Martin Luther got up and started this whole thing? What's been, what's been going on? The church has kind of got stuck at literally the first grounds of the Reformation where all we talk about is just getting saved all the time. But we were saved unto learning about who the Lord was in his fullness. And so when we say, well, God has come and he wants to start bringing shalom to us, God doesn't just save us and say, now just stay a mess the rest of your life. He he actually comes to you and he says, now I've saved you on purpose to bring wholeness to you. In fact, as I've started looking at shalom, I'm developing this right now through the whole entire Old Testament and New Testament, I'm realizing, I never actually saw this, that we were actually commanded by the Lord to pursue wholeness the rest of our lives after we meet him. Now, a lot of people think if you're into getting, resolving and dealing with your stuff, you think, yeah, yeah. But most of us don't even hear that. They think, well, Jesus just wants me to get saved so I can sit in a seat and be in a building and throw money in the offering plate and just wait until eternity. That is not what God has called you into these rooms for. 
to hear people just talk and pontificate all the time. He wants you whole. He's saying, catch that message from me. I am into restoration here. I want you whole. Now, you guys ready? Because God is so serious about wholeness, there's this really interesting passage in Luke chapter 10 when he sends the 70 out and he's talking to him about the harvest in the end times. Literally, that passage about the harvest at the end of the age. And he begins to tell them about how you're not to pray for the harvest, you're to pray for laborers. You guys remember this? And then he says, now when you go into a house, you're to find a person of peace there. And if a person of peace is there, your peace is to rest on him. If not, it's supposed to come back on you. Do you guys remember that term? When he said that, that word peace is the New Testament word for the word shalom. Now, why am I going after this? Because when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't just say, well, my presence is on you, now go do ministry. That's how most of us translate. I got the anointing. His presence is on you, and it's constantly dealing with you to come to that place of wholeness where you're broken in your life. And that's what minister, do you guys realize that's what draws other people into the kingdom? The shalom that is resting on you comes upon them, and that longing for wholeness that all of us were created to touch into touches them, and they want to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, not because only he's Savior, but there's more to him being Savior than just getting ready for heaven. It's the idea that I could come back into what God originally intended for me, wholeness. Now, I actually, when I first came to the Lord, didn't even see this reality. I was just so grateful to be saved that that was what I was thinking about when I first met the Lord. And one day, you guys ready? The Lord started actually telling me, Brian, you actually have to deal with stuff in your life. And I'm like, uh, uh, you can send the women to go deal with all that. They like crying in rooms and doing all that stuff, but I don't want to deal with this. And when the, this is amazing. One day I'm actually just devotionally praying and I can sense the presence of the Lord in the room as I'm praying. And I, I can, I feel motivated to pray a different way. I could tell I was being led by the spirit. And I had so much, literally, anger and anxiety and fear in my life that most of my prayer time was just trying to get the peace of God to come into my experience. And I prayed a different way that I'd never done it before. I actually got before the Lord and said, Lord, can you just bring your wholeness into my body right now? Now, are you guys like, I am praying some ways and you think, oh, Jesus must think that's clever. I prayed that, I literally experienced the wholeness of God came into my, I literally felt it come into my mind and go into my soul, and this settling came into me, and all, and I think I've been, uh, try to, uh, different places I go to, I try to tell them, I was struggling with severe depression because of my first family issues, my father being absent, my mother not being nurtured, all that stuff, I just had depression, now what is Depression. It's anger and rage. You don't express it to other people. You internalize it. And so what was going on is I, all this stuff that was going on in me that I could not get resolved, when I said, would you bring your wholeness, it came into me, and for the first time in my Christian experience, I really experienced a deep sense of rest. I started tapping into shalom, and I didn't realize how this is an inheritance for you and I. God wants you to have be whole. God is pursuing you in wholeness. He refuses to leave you broken. Think about this. If I come into a relationship, what happens in relationships with people? When I come into relationships with people, we share our life. 
When God comes into relationship with you, he, he can't come in his perfection and leave you in a broken place. His perfection has to touch you and bring about a sense of wholeness. So if you're going to walk with God, you've got to realize his intention is not to leave you at the same place all the time. He's intentionally, when we say God loves us, it's not just to make our emotions feel good. God is intentional about loving us, and the intentionality of his love is to make you whole. So, thank you, one person, great. All right, so let's keep going. So, that, that's not only the first part. Now, we're trying to arrive at peace. The next part is, is that when God starts the work of shalom inside our lives, which is a continual thing, it's a covenant promise, it also says that you are, uh, the word for shalom means wholeness and prosperity. And uh, I don't know, all of us come from different backgrounds, but the group that I hung out with, hated that word prosperity, even though it's in scripture, because it was twisted into trying to confess Mercedes to be in their driveway all the time. <laughs> right? So you guys ready? When, if you guys are like I am, anytime the body of Christ does an immature expression of something and I have no knowledge of it, it usually repels me from it, and then I never come into what God wants me to really experience because I'm so offended at the immature expression of it. Isn't that great? So I started realizing when God started presenting the idea of wholeness to me, I couldn't even actually look at the word prosperity because I was so messed up with all this goofiness in the body of Christ. So I actually had to come, and this is a form of wholeness. I had to come and say, what is really biblical prosperity, and what does it actually look like? There's two forms of it. The first form is, you guys ready? Your soul. So how do you recognize the goodness of the Lord inside of you? Your soul starts prospering. What does it mean to have a prosperous soul? Well, you guys ready? All the things that we long for, all the things we talk about as believers, when my soul starts prospering, I immediately have a sense of God's nearness in my life, and, I'm, and I love him because of the prosperity that's going on in my soul. I become satisfied with them. All the fruits of the Spirit, you guys ever did what I did? When I read the, uh, about the fruits of the Holy Spirit and started studying them, I realized I had none of them, so I stopped studying that. But when God's prospering my soul, he's producing that. That's what it means to prosper. He's, he's making who he is prosper inside of me, and now fruits that I never could have in my own ability, which, you guys ready? You cannot produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside yourself. He has to do it. When he's prospering you, that's what he's producing inside of you. You yield to it because your soul is being so nurtured by him as a father that all of a sudden you realize he's good and I prosper by being in a relationship with him. So why not let him do what he wants to do? This whole, whole idea, if you guys ever seen it in the body of Christ, I, always, I didn't understand it for years. This whole idea of Jesus being your Savior but not your Lord used to confuse me. I don't know what it is with people in lordship, but this thing about lordship is really fascinating because he's not a tyrant. That's not, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're not saying Jesus is a tyrant. But anybody that's a dictator or anybody is a leader because they act like that, we think, well, they're modeling what God's like. No, they aren't. If God is the best of what you can experience, why would you not want to yield to whatever he wants to lead you into? That's what it means when we say we accept him as Lord. We realize that his ways are better than our ways. His ways are good. Why not go his way? Because every time I test it and I weigh it, I find out it's good. So, of course, I want to follow him and do whatever he's doing in a situation. 
Not just playing a game with him. Well, when you say, Lord, I'm going to have to do stuff I don't want to do. Well, you guys ready? The things that you have to give up are destroying you anyways. So you might as well give them up and stop fighting him. So there's prosperity in your soul, and then there's literally prosperity in your physical life. So that actually means, I know this is hard to understand, but when you're struggling in the arena of finances or anything that has to do with your outward life, the Bible says that God refuses to leave you there. He actually wants to take care of you. Here we're back to the covenant idea again. If he's going to prosper you, he has to... amazing thing about the gospel is it has a lifting ability. Right? When I submit to what Jesus is about, it affects all my relationships. It affects my finances. It affects what I do with my time, energy, and resources. And when I begin to follow the ways of the Lord because they're wise, they prosper everything I do. And so my physical life should be affected by prosperity. I don't know, and guys, ready? Isn't it amazing? We're an affluent nation because our forefathers decided to obey the Lord in this, but we're ashamed of it like it's something wrong. God doesn't want you to be ashamed of this stuff. Now, is it bless the Lord that the curse of poverty is resting on all these people? Absolutely not. That's silly. That's foolishness. And so the reality of it is, is God does want to prosper you in your soul and outwardly. Now, you guys ready? If wholeness is coming to me, I am prospering, and life has actually a goodness and a quality to it, it's going to manifest itself in the last place that we're going to now, and it's called peace. Can God actually be so good at his restorative ability that now you, you don't have to just constantly be full of anxiety, constantly be full of worry, constantly afraid of the future? Can God actually so satisfy you that you can arrive in a plane of peace and literally live out of peace because you realize God has been good. And what he is willing to do for me, he's willing to do for everybody. And I believe that shalom changes your perspective on the moving of God. All of a sudden, it's easier to just put people in God's hands because you realize what he's done when he, you've been in his hands. And so our prayers switch from begging to just saying, do it. Here, here's my child. You know how to raise kids better than I do. There he is. He's yours to deal with. <laughs> my government stinks, so you take over the government. Do you guys realize that? See, Shalom, there, I love how Gideon had to work through this, and he declared the, you ready? The nature of the Lord. This is why it's so important. When it's using those things in the Old Testament, like when Abraham went up to sacrifice Isaac, and he declared this as Jehovah, uh, not Rapha, it's Jehovah Jireh. He's declaring the nature. God's nature is never going to change from this. Well, here in Gideon's story, he's declaring the name of the Lord. God is never going to change when it comes to this. When he is relating to you and I, he will never give up on making you whole. He will never give up on prospering you. And he will never give up on your life being at peace. Peace is one of the most powerful commodities of our day. Not wealth, peace. I had relatives, just so you guys know a little bit of my background. I, my, on my mom's side and my dad's side, they were multi-millionaires, and they never had peace. Never. So wealth, or what the culture says brings peace, doesn't. 
People that have wealth are just as anxiety-stricken as people who don't have wealth. You cannot find this outside of the Lord. He is the only one that can give peace. And you guys ready? As you get going on in life, you realize that peace in your household, peace in your relationship, and peace in life has a greater quality, and it's a longing that people have more than all this other junk we're trying to possess. Three people agreed with me. So this side of the room is with me on this one. You guys ready? And so if you ever get to travel outside of the United States, the nations that don't have all the material wealth as our culture, you realize that Christians are at peace. They're at peace. Now, God wants to not only affirm that covenant with you, he wants to restore it and begin to make that a solid foundation inside of you and I. So let's present ourselves and let him do it. You guys ready? Let's turn our hearts to him in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for being here. More, more of your presence. Bring your power. It really is a memorial that you want this established in us. The peace, the shalom, the wholeness that you have promised us, release it right now. Any area of our life that is resisting and doesn't understand shalom, would you begin to nurture that part of us again, Lord? Bring wholeness and break the power of fear over us. Break the power of lack that we always strive to possess because we believe we lack. Break the power of that over our soul. Mighty one, would you come and bring peace to us? Fill us with your peace. Bring wholeness to our thoughts, minds, and emotions. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I stand before you and I pronounce the peace of God over you. Now, may the Lord bless you, keep you, his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you and give you shalom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.